Welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, we feature Tanya Trice and Suzanne Heim, co-owners and principals of Panorama Environmental. Tanya is the founding principal of Panorama and specializes in CEQA, NEPA, and permitting compliance. She leads Panorama's services in solar energy, fire and fuels, and water utility sectors. Tanya is recognized for her strategic insight and creativity in finding solutions for complex projects and programs. Her vision for Panorama has been to create a company that serves clients with a highly focused and intelligent team of professionals who care deeply about their work and bring success to every project while also being a great place to work. As an owner of Panorama, Tanya oversees the company's overall business strategy, finances, and information technology. Suzanne is a principal and co-owner of Panorama with 20 years of project and program management experience in the environmental field. Suzanne has led CEQA, NEPA, and permitting efforts for electric utility, solar, geothermal, water utility, and watershed restoration projects throughout California, Nevada, and internationally. She's recognized for her team leadership and ability to motivate teams to achieve goals. Suzanne currently leads Panorama's services in the geothermal, electric utility, and water resource sectors. Suzanne's role as an owner includes leading company operations and staff development. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Jessa. And I'm Laurel, and today's guests are Suzanne and Tanya from Panorama Environmental. So excited to have you guys. This is not our first podcast together. But it is the first for AEP. So on that note, walk us through how you're connected to the AEP organization. So um, we, as Panorama Environmental, are an environmental consulting firm, and we are AEP members. Um, We frequently are at AEP conferences. We love all the AEP workshops. We send our employees to them. Um, It is an organization that we are strongly connected to and are glad is in existence because it really helps with training new staff and also just sharing ideas and connecting to people who have similar mindsets. Yeah, and we've done sessions for AP and and led um, workshops. And so, yeah, again, it's a great organization and being in the environmental field, you know, makes us uh, well tied to it. Yeah, agreed. I have definitely participated on a webinar panel with you, Tanya, for AEP. Can you remember what that was? It was like a couple years ago. Yeah, I think it was the um, Alpine. We've done the Alpine County wildfire work, so it was a it was a fire related one. Yeah, that's right. It was the fire related one. Um, so on that note, what drew you guys to the environmental profession? Was it wildfire planning, or like how did you end up in this Pre-based space? That. <laughs> yeah. Definitely predates that. Yes, so yeah. old predate fire. <laughs> yeah, but that, I guess that's okay. So yeah. I, I grew up um, around the environmental profession. My dad is a landscape architect and he had an office and business at home. And so I grew up sitting at drafting tables. And this was back in the day when there were drafting tables, you know, kind of tracing his designs and doing like startups on irrigation lines and just walking around the neighborhoods with, with my dad and spouting off all the like, Latin names of every plant that we're seeing. Um, So it was kind of something that I was born into a little bit. Um, And then just through, you know, interests and hobbies, I got really into doing backpacking and being out outdoors and in nature. Um, And when I was in college, 
I was not studying anything in the environmental field. And my friends would tell me, uh, you, you're really passionate about the in, like environmental issues. Like you should be doing this work. And it was really funny because of course, then after I graduated and looking for a job, like that's the field that I ended up into. Um, I just kind of naturally navigated into a job that I was like, well, this looks interesting. This seems like it aligns with where my, my natural interests lie. Um, and that's, that's how I ended up in the environmental field. And before we go, we move on to Tanya. So this is just a little throwback to our previous episode we have with Corinne Little Bonine and her mom, Nancy, about the intergenerational environmental professionals and how that inspired you. Um, so on that note, how were Thanksgiving conversations at your table? Mm-hmm. Did you guys talk about the environmental profession and all that, um, regularly during holidays or what was that like? It's funny because we didn't. And you know what's what's even, it's like when you think about intergenerational, so there's my, my dad who's a landscape architect. And then my sister for a while was also a CEQA practitioner. So right after college, she went and she started doing CEQA as well. And so we were all in the same field. But I think there was this aspect of, it's like, this is what I do at work when we're together as a family. Like we keep that separate. <laughs> so we actually never really talked about work stuff when we got together for dinner. That is that is unique from uh, the Corinne and Nancy relationship, where it was you know a constant, constant. Well, that's fascinating. Thank you. And and Tanya, how about you? Where did you start? Yeah, so pretty different background uh, from Suzanne, I think. So I actually, um, but you know, also starting from childhood. So I actually I didn't realize this till this weekend, and this is a little crazy. I actually grew up in Appalachia, um, the very northernmost county of Appalachia. So and it was all you know. Grew, Grew up in a poor area and um, rural area, and you know a lot of similar ties to what um, you see in Appalachia in terms of people who are very drawn to their land and to nature, and um, and so uh, you know I think that to me probably started also you know that that sort of interest in what's around me and my surroundings and you know and um, lands and uses and such. Although that being said, I wanted to get out of there and move to cities, you know, when I went to college and coming to San Francisco. But I think when I went to college, I started out in engineering and then I realized I still liked, you know, the natural sciences and I um, switched to geology, but I was at the University of Pennsylvania. It was very little geology. It was very hard to get the classes in. And so then I switched to biology and, um, and I focused a little more on math and evolutionary biology, kind of looking more towards, you know, this is the late nineties and a mid to late nineties you know, looking more towards pharmaceutical and genomics and stuff that was just emerging at that time. But I always had an interest in population genetics and ecology as well. I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do, like natural sciences, like biology. I ended up graduating in 2001 and getting a job on Wall Street with a management consulting firm. Actually, it was 2000. And that went bust because everything changed in the world at that point in time. And then, uh, 9-11 happened and I moved out to um, San Francisco kind of right before 9-11 just for, you know, six months. And I ended up working at a pharmaceutical company first. And I pretty much realized that, you know, that wasn't really what I wanted to do. That wasn't the side of it that I liked, like, you know, getting back to the roots of like, why did I want to be a geologist initially? You know, why did I really like the ecology side of the biology degree, you know? Um, and I saw this position for, you know, an, an analyst um, with my former business partner, Lori Heater. Um, and so I applied 
um, for that job, just thinking, hey, you know, I uh, why not? And um, and got that job. And I actually had a job, the job in Wall Street just got deferred and I ended up just not going back to it. But that was 2002, I think early 2002, that I ended up getting the job in environmental um, consulting with Lori. And uh, it just seems like, hey, this is consulting, you know, which I was going to do anyway, but it's more on the ecology and the biology and the natural science side. And thought, you know, to try this out while I'm out here in, on the West Coast. And that was 21 years ago. So here I am. <laughs> That's wonderful. I love the contrast in your respective experiences and what led you to the field. It's so different, like with, you know, Suzanne growing up in your household and Tanya it's just like, oh, I, I know I want to do this and kind of like, you know, not a, a complete linear path, but like always like towing on that line and having like, would you say mathematical biology? Yeah, I mean, that was my <laughs> focus at Penn and that could take me in any direction, right? Like it could take me into management consulting and being really technical on the business side. It could take me pharmaceuticals, obviously at that point, like the Human Genome Project was just coming out, something I was super interested in or take me into pharmaceuticals or ultimately where I landed, you know, in environmental consulting. <laughs> yeah. So I imagine it's really difficult for college students to be like, what, where do I go? What do I do with this? Yeah. And part of it is maybe you don't need to have the answer. Like my advice to people is like, you don't necessarily have to have the answer. Like, again, if you study a couple things you really like, and you know, my parents always pushed us towards math and science because they felt like that's where you're going to get a job, like not so much an English major, <laughs> but unless you go to law school, I guess. But, um, you know, it was kind of studying these different things and then just having the ability to feel it out, you know, just by chance. Like I didn't even know about environmental consulting when I was at University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. Um, but, you know, as I kind of the circumstances that happened with 9-11 and getting deferred and the, um, you know, the economy at the time in the early 2000s, you know, just kind of gave me the opportunity to like mix it up and look for something else and see what I liked. And, you know, and that's how I landed where I did. And with that being said, so each of you talking about your interest and passion for the environmental field, and now you are principals and co-owners of Panorama. And so um, I think Tanya, maybe start with you on this one. And then for Suzanne is what led you to wanting to own a business and being interested in, in operating and owning your own business? Yeah. So yeah, our story is a little different because I, I actually started Panorama with Lori in 2011. And then Suzanne ended up joining on when Lori retired in 2019. And so you know, but in both the similarities in both cases, because even when Lori and I started Panorama, we were we were kind of building something off of something that already existed. You know, we um, we um, started Panorama as an acquisition, essentially, of um, our unit of this company called RMT, which Lori got involved in because she had a company before that called MHA, a really small consultancy based in San Mateo. Um, that she sold to RMT in 2007. And so I, you know, I think as I was working with Lori and MHA from 2000, you know, early 2002 through 2007 to 2011, I was, you know, quickly kind of learning 
consulting and I was finding that I was, you know, had like kind of natural leadership abilities and I was managing projects and I was doing really well. And I was, you know, and I was growing so much that I was like, you know, at some point it was like, I can have my own company. Like I can do this, you know? Um, and then I didn't really have in mind what specifically the timing was on, you know, like would I jump and start my own company or what? But um, it was more like suddenly I got thrown a circumstance that just was amazing and, um, and like very unusual, but just like super lucky. And so basically in 2011, we were with the company RMT, which is a large Midwestern company and they um, were an engineering firm and they were also EPC. Um, they were building wind and solar and they were owned by a utility in the Midwest called Alliant. And um, at the time, you know, there was just also like the second kind of shift in economics and recession and such, you know, from 2008 on. Um, and by around 2011, RMT basically, Alliant wanted to divest RMT and they sold off the units of RMT to TRC. Um, but our unit had a conflict because a lot of our projects were with the California Public Utilities Commission and TRC was working directly for the utilities. And so they basically said, well, we can take all your units, but we can't take those ladies. <laughs> and, and so Lori and I just kind of looked at each other and we're like, you know, they need to do something with us. And why not <laughs> go back to being a small woman owned business? Let's do this together. Um, you know, we can move it to San Francisco. Um, you know, we've got some staff. We had about 2 million of backlog. We had small staff. We had like five people um, at that point because it had contracted a little bit. And so we just, you know, from the course of, I think I talked about this in our last podcast, but, you know, this all came up in, around like Halloween. And by, you know, New Year's, we were started this panorama. We did everything in those two months, like, you know, branded, built the company, you know, built all the company, all the templates, all the accounting, like everything. Um, and then just started up this panorama. And I feel like it just kind of dropped on me. And it was a great way that, you know, we already had a business. It was an acquisition. So we could take the history. We knew what we were doing. It was just an incredible opportunity for me that most people probably would never get because it was a lot of that just ended up being by chance. And then having, you know, someone like Lori, who was kind of my mentor and then became my <laughs> my business partner, um, you know, there too, to who'd done it before to be able to, to build this up. So it's been over a decade now. Uh, Panorama celebrates our 11th anniversary on 11-11 of this year. So. I love it. I love it. I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was like four times I was going to mention 11, 11. Um, but right before we, yeah. <laughs> before we go to Suzanne, uh, Tanya, why did uh, you and Lori and you choose the name Panorama Environmental? I chose the name Panorama. Um, there's a road up. So if you go on the back side of Twin Peaks in San Francisco, um, there's a road up the back called Panorama Boulevard, I believe. And one of my friends lives way at the top there. And actually, we're working on a project now with Sutra Tower. So kind of cool. Um, but um, there's a, a road that goes all the way up the backside of Twin Peaks called Panorama um, Boulevard. And I remember just seeing the sign driving up to my friend's house and being like, that's a great name for an environmental consulting firm or a company, environmental company, because it's kind of like Panorama, you know, has that sort of broad it means like a, you know, like a broad view, like a, like a big picture view, but it's also got this, you know, sort of aesthetic qualities. And so it just, it just felt right. And I brought it up to Lori and she was like, yeah, that's it. Perfect. 
Yeah, it only took you guys two months-ish to launch an entire business. Yeah, I mean, I kind of thought of the name before this opportunity all came up. I drove up there before that and was like, that would be a great name for a company. Um, And then, you know, when we, when Suzanne and I, um, so, so basically Lori and I, you know, had Panorama and then Lori was, uh, when she, when she uh, retired, she sold off her half of the shares and Suzanne and I split those, you know, each, each taking half. And I ended up purchasing mine through an LLC called Starview, which is actually one of the other roads up there. So it was just kind of funny. It like became, so I, I feel like we can thing. all predict maybe what your next business venture would be. It could be, you know, a road that leads to Sutro tower or something. But, yes. Well, basically um, just look there and there's, there's a bunch of view roads and <laughs> it's one of those. This. But I like Star View because that was then like an even bigger picture, you know? <laughs> like it is. It get, could be the biggest. Answer. Yeah. Like the James Webb telescope. Ah, um, 25% owned by Star View. <laughs> ah, got it, got it, got it. And um, Suzanne, how were you attracted to Panorama in the first place? Like how how was that first engagement and then your your story working up to purchasing those the ownership from yeah. So I I joined Panorama through the predecessor company. I was actually introduced to um, RMT and Tanya and Lori through a client that we were both working for at the time when I was in Reno. And he said, you know, I really need to get you guys together. And at the time I had, I had a newborn and I was pregnant with my second. I have my daughters 13 months apart. And I just was in this space in my life where I thought, ooh, I, I need more support. Like I was out in Reno on my own, my family, I have family in the Bay Area, family in Los Angeles, but I thought I, I need to move back to California because being out in Reno on my own with, with two you know, little babies was just going to be too much. Um, so I met Lori through this common client um, and it, we kind of connected right away. And then I met Tanya and I was just like, wow, we are really, there, there's a lot of similarities there. Like we just are really kind of similar in our, in our, on our approach and in terms of just kind of like our tenacity, I think, with, with trying to solve problems and really address issues. I think we're both pretty tenacious people. <laughs> um, so so we, we initially met and I came and joined RMT and two months later, it was like, uh, <laughs> do I have a job here? Like this is definitely not working out the way I thought it was going to. Um, and I was at the time commuting to San Mateo thinking, living in Berkeley, thinking, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this long term like this. There should be a switch to San Francisco because that was kind of part of what I was planning to happen when I moved. Um, and within uh, you know another month from there, I was told by Tanya and Lori, we're forming Panorama. Do you want to come with us? And I said, yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And so we got to start off as there was a team of um, five of us. <laughs> yeah, so it was Tanya and Lori, myself, Aaron, and, a, and Corey, our GIS person, and Jeff Smith. And Jeff Smith. And so we kind of came over initially and, um, and started Panorama. And then, you know, it was, just kind of growing it from the ground up, it was a really great way to see the inside of the company. And really, I, I fell in love with the place. And when when Lori said she was she was ready to, you know, she's looking to retire and wanted to figure out what to do next and asked me if I wanted to be a business owner, I I realized like that was always a life goal of mine. I, you know, I'm someone who I, I think I remember being in high school and thinking like, 
think I'm going to be a business owner. Like that's just kind of within me. Um, and so, <laughs> so when the opportunity presented itself, um, it was, it, I was ready to, to jump on board. There's so much, <clears throat> excuse me, so much like fortuitous events have happened along the way. And I think a big key to this, you know, like there's some luck too, but it's being prepared and recognizing the opportunity. And so I think, you know, with this company that was, you know, getting rid of, of a division, it could have been like, well, I guess I have to find another job. But instead, you know, you're all like, oh, no, this is our shot. Yeah. This makes sense. Plug and play. And then, you know, kind of same thing. I think Suzanne is recognizing within yourself, like, you know, being open to these things and kind of having that in the back of your mind and making decisions where you're working with good people that you want to work with long term and want this kind of business partnership relationship with whether or not it becomes them, but like setting yourself up for that opportunity when, and if it arises. So I think that's really cool to recognize as far as, you know, not waiting for someone else to make a decision for you. Really, and, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I really just spot on. Like, I think I think what you're saying is just resonates so much. I just wanted to acknowledge that. (laughs) Yeah, what resonated for me a lot was um, the females, females really advocating for themselves, and females really saying, "Hey, do you want do you want this opportunity? Here's an opportunity," and really communicating about it. And then, as Jessa said, y'all looking inside yourselves and being like, "Yep, I'm gonna shoot my shot." And it's really scary. Like, well, I'm assuming it's really scary. Was it really scary? What were the feelings? Yeah. So in 2011, it was, it was a little scary, but I also felt like the way the opportunity presented to ourselves, it wasn't a lot of risk for us. Now I did have to put up some, a bunch of our own money to like purchase it from RMT and then to, um, you know, and then to like basically self-fund, like paying people and operating, you know, for a little bit of time. But, you know, we had like a, like, unlike other businesses, like we had like backlog coming in and we knew what things were, like we knew what we're getting, we knew how to sustain that. So it kind of like tamped down the risk a little bit. And it always felt like we're not going into debt doing this, but, you know, chances are with going in with like a couple people and manageable, like little tiny manageable size at the time, and this backlog, like the risk of us losing stuff, you know, losing money, losing ourselves is not great. And it also felt like, you know, I would tell myself, well, if it all went bust, like I could just get a job at like TRC or whatever, you know, because um, they liked us. They just couldn't take the company. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it, we just kind of, um, for me, it was kind of like, it was scary and that there was a lot to figure out, but it also felt like, but we know how to do this because we've been doing this, you know, and and having Lori too was great because she had run a small business. So it's like, you know, she had run MHA for, you know, from 83 to 2007. So that really helped kind of tamp down the risk a lot. And, and I think when, when I was ready to become a business owner, I, I talked with my mom about it and my mom's very risk averse. She's like a financial person, you know, she's basically like an accountant type of brain. And I, I showed her what I was doing and she's like, I like, I, I can't talk to you about this because it scares me. She's like, I can't, like, cannot handle this. And I was like, okay, it's, <laughs> I just was like, okay, I won't 
talk to you about it then, <laughs> but I'm not going to like not do it. And to me, there was this aspect of it's like, like once I had woken up that part of me, that's like, yes, I want to be a business owner. I know this is a life goal. I know this is what I want to do. I couldn't put it back to bed. And it's like, it would be a death of my soul to not do it. So like the risk of like, you know, financial like loss or something is like when you put it within the, those, you know, from that perspective, it's like, like you can't not do it. I couldn't, it, it really was something where it's like, I, I didn't see a path to like not doing it. And it was the interesting thing too, was I guess there was the second time of like, you know, buying out half of Lori shares um, in 2019. And for me, you know, again, it felt like a little bit of risk again, but it was interesting because there was points where Lori talked to me and she was like, oh, just, you know, I could buy out her shares and be full owner of Panorama and do it by myself, you know? And cause she and I were half, half before. And I was kind of like, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to do this by myself, you know? And I, um, and it was really kind of hard to, to think about, all right, well, you know, do you sell to a big company? Do you, you know, what is that going to mean? And I was like, I don't know. That just doesn't fit with like what we've built and who we have and how we're operating. And it's like, that just didn't feel right, you know? And then I talked to, um, uh, to someone um, who owns another company, environmental consulting firm. I won't say his name, but he was um, just incredible. We went for a long walk and he's, uh, he was incredibly insightful. And he was like, you know, um, having a business partner who would, you know, buy out half of Lori shares and you take the other half of Lori shares is going to give you that ability to have someone who's going to do this with you, you know, and that's probably the, the best way to go with, you know, when I was describing kind of who we are and where we are and how we operate the business and how I was, didn't want to do it all by myself. And so, you know, it helped me just really get this like sort of, you know, like vision of like, yes, like, you know, doing this with Suzanne is absolutely a hundred percent the best decision of all the options on the board. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, because we are really aligned in how we think we have different skills. We bring different skills to the table. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, her as, as, having, you know, those shares as well, you know, brings her into a, a role similar to me in terms of an equal, in terms of managing the company and um, staff and projects and building the company further. And then also that we're, you know, we're roughly the same age. So we're kind of aligned in overall goals. Cause again, you know, I only bring that up because, you know, Lori and I were 18 years apart in age. So obviously we had different, you know, trajectories where Suzanne and I were like a year apart in age. So, um, uh, you know, so it just, it feels like the decisions are the same point in our career and decisions are the same point for long-term, you know, that can align really nicely. And I think it did allow us to grow the company bigger because there were two of us, you know, and then we hired um, a director recently who's got, you know, 25 years experience, Megan, and she's amazing. And it like added even more ability, you know, to grow. I love that your decision-making that that both of you have talked about is not just financial and it's not just the financial risks, but you've discussed the investment of your emotional and social value, your, the value of your soul. Where do I want to spend, where do I invest my time and my resources? I mean, as consultants, you, you sell time basically, which I hope we can change that one day. I would love to not be selling time, but, um, and maybe Panorama can clarify what exactly it is that they sell. Uh, but I can vouch for being a part-time employee at Panorama that 
the culture and what you guys have put together as a duo, a dynamic duo, um, mm-hmm. has been very attractive and it has a more holistic um work environment like a like we're so the employees are so engaged and you're growing so much and it's growing so organically that it's going well it's going right and you two being the leaders it's the reason why it's going well and it's going right but that said why don't y'all tell us a little bit about your culture and what it is that you sell and what you think are the key points that 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 gives you a competitive advantage over envir- other environmental consulting firms in the industry yeah. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah. So the, the key aspects of our culture, we actually have some guiding principles we've come up with. Um, I think that the number one is communication. It kind of comes back, to, everything comes back to communication. I was actually talking with another employee with Rita this morning about some of the other ones. It's like, wow, they all kind of link back to communication once you, once you look at them. But um, it starts with, from, from, from our perspective, it really starts with having this open communication policy. Um, it's expected that people communicate with each other, that we're talking and, and it's able to express um, our needs and then also able to mentor and train each other. Like that's all through communication. And then spreading that out to the client, bringing that communication out to, to them so that it's clear where we are in the process and, and where what our growth is, what our trajectory is for the project. Um, and then we, we also have collaboration as a really key aspect of our culture too. Um, we believe that the best ideas come through collaboration, that it's not just one thing that one person said or one thing that another person said, but through the collaboration, it's like you have that third party that kind of comes into the room. That's the collaboration, that it's like not really an idea that any one person had. Um, and, and that's really like an exciting moment and something that's really important to our culture. Yeah, well, and also, I mean, I guess it ties into part of the question was, what do we sell? And, um, you know, I think Panorama, you know, we, we're CEQA NEPA consultants. There's a lot of CEQA NEPA consultants out there. I think what we sell and that makes us maybe a little different is that um, I always try to pitch us as we're strategic environmental consultants. And I think what we sell is... Um, is you know that expertise and that ability to solve problems you know from the start. So not just write a NEPA document, write a CEQA document, but working with clients early on to figure out how do you get through this whole process. And it comes back to that communication, that guiding principles that there's you know there's uh, no problem we can't solve. Um, what we're bringing is basically like, look, you know, we can just write your document for you, but we can also help you plan early on so that, you know, that you're going to meet your schedules. You're going to meet, you know, your, your, um, you know, your, your on date for your project. You're going to meet, you know, you're going to reduce certain permitting fees because we thought about it earlier and we worked with your engineers to figure out a way that works that avoids like all this permitting that you would need otherwise, Um, you know, that we're there at the table, you know, helping solve, problems early and coordinating all the entities involved in environmental planning. So, mm-hmm. and, you know, we've had examples recently with solar projects, geothermal projects where, you know, it was kind of like, you know, even looking at Sutra Tower, I mean, just looking at these projects and saying, okay, here's what's going on. Um, and, you know, here's the options of what you can do, not just a task that we're going to do. We're going to help you figure out what you can do and what's the best way to do it. And we work to train our staff to, you know, to think that way as well. And I think that clients really 
value that our service is not just doing a tax task of something they have to do, but that we're taking them through this process in a way that meets their goals, um, even though they have to do it. I agree. I I want this. That's what I kept thinking, Sarah Laura, as you're talking about this, it's like, oh, it's almost like their problem, the client's problem becomes your problem. And it's that tenacity that you both share to figure that out and be like, we are not, like, we are going to do this. Yeah. I mean, last, last night, Suzanne and I got on, just, we were just checking in because we've got a whole bunch of proposals and like one going out today. And, um, but there's this one project that we're working on and, I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to divulge too many details, but, um, but basically there was some confusion about what the project is and where it is. And she and I just got on a call that just came up and, you know, she pulls up like the picture of the project and we were just talking through like together, like, okay, like, well, if they do this, then it means this, if they do this, then it means that, you know, mm-hmm. and we sat and talked for 45 minutes at the end of it, we were just like, okay, here's like the two options, you know, they have. Right. And it was just, you know, that kind of like, we can go back to them where they, this client didn't know what the right, you know, solution is. And we can go back and be like, we you know, we kind of talked through this and we got some clarity and here's your options, you know? Mm-hmm. I I can also vouch that I, I want this to resonate with the industry as a whole, with the profession of the environmental profession as a whole. It benefits us all if environmental professionals, whether they're consultants or or a part of the organization, are engaged early in the project planning process because you can identify these options and the permitting pathway on the environmental side is crucial to your financial performa, to your commercial operation dates, to all of your um, project development planning. And I've seen it time and time again where, where developers make mistakes where they engage the environmental professional or the land entitlement expert at the time of fi- of, of preparing the technical reports and and getting those permits instead of in the project planning process and things blow up, you know, there's um, mitigation we didn't anticipate or things we could have avoided that we didn't avoid. And now maybe we need to go redo engineering. And what I've really learned in my tenure as a professional, is just a risk management strategy to, as if you're a developer, hire an environmental professional full-time. If you don't want to hire an environmental professional full-time, hire an environmental consulting firm early so that they can help you project plan. And to that end, uh, one project I'm working on with you guys at, at Panorama, it's you've built that relationship so strongly and deeply with um, a solar developer yeah. that they've come to you and said, I want to build a solar project. Will you design it and engineer it? <laughs> and so you and so environmental consulting firms also have this opportunity to put a whole team together and really help design, you know, I think this engineer is going to figure this problem out. I think the Gentile should be over here or, or if you reroute it over here, it's going to have a less environmental impact. And isn't that the overall goal of our profession is to be that good where we can help development that needs to be done, be done, but also in a way that lessens the environmental impact from the start. And can save millions down the road. I millions. Mean, you know, on, a, on a past project, uh, you know, they were looking at the biologist, which wasn't under us, had said, you know, hey, you need um, you need a 4-4 permit and it's, you know, 114 acres that you need to compensate. And it would have been like 14 million and there was no mitigation banks. And then, you know, kind of looked at it and was like, wait, what if we just do, the only thing we're touching here is like these roads. What if we just do nationwide? And, you know, I met with, um, 
district office in Sacramento of the Army Corps, and they were like, yeah, let, let's do 78 nationwide, and there's zero mitigation because you don't tip anything. And it was like, okay, Boom. just give you 14 million. That like pays for us. <laughs> Can I get a cut of that? Can I get a little kickback of that 14 mil <laughs> that you saved? Well, I, and I just think that this would really um, uplift the profession and the industry in general is if we looked for those cost-saving strategies because it, it is a massive complaint from developers that, oh, I, I can't build in California. It's too expensive to build in California. It's like, well, it doesn't have to be. Not all the time. Right. And and I think it's, you know, it's also looking at this as I remember Lori would always say, this is a team sport. You know, yeah. it's like, this really is something where it's like, it takes all the team and kind of putting our ego at the, at the door. Like we don't have to individually have the right answer to come up with a better solution as a team and be able to look at things. It's really that like, cradle to grave kind of perspective of not just I'm spending this much on environmental today, but like if we invest, if we invest in our environmental at the front, we're going to save from our operations because, you know, the cost of doing these things operationally, it's going to add up for the life of the project. So it's really kind of your upfront investment to getting the right team on to do that evaluation and really gets you the best kind of outcome that you can from a mitigation standpoint. Well, and you're recognizing that they, um, you know, partly like the sort of good reputation that builds for them. Yes. So, you know, we've got another solar developer that we're working with and we're doing, you know, the construction monitoring at this point, but, you know, that developer has like, engaged us and given us, you know, so much ability to like help them do the right thing and like, you know, follow every reg and communicate with the, you know, the BLM. And now they have a great reputation for what they're doing and building. And, and that goes a long way because they've got other projects coming up. And your reputation. So it's obviously really important in the environmental industry that we maintain really good relationships. That's why AEP is so crucial um, for me personally, in my profession, I know, like Suzanne said, this isn't about me. And I also know I don't have all the answers, but I always say like in my interviews or when I'm engaging people that I am a member of AEP and if I don't have the answers, someone does. And we are a very open organization. We love to collaborate. We love to help. Somebody somewhere is going to have an idea and we can figure this out together. Absolutely. So I, I find that maintaining relationships in the industry and sharing and having that open communication, as you all have mentioned, is crucial to our industry as a whole being elevated. And what I've also really liked when, when we interview consulting firms and you know professionals and public agencies, the relationships that we have are that are based on collaboration means I can call up a regulator and bounce an idea off of them early and be like, is this a non-starter or what? what is your hope and dream for this particular area? Like if you had all the resources in the world and, and money and time and staff was not an issue, what would be your dream for this, for your jurisdiction? And then you go, mm, okay, well, we've got a, a commercial developer over here and we've got, you know, NGOs over here and, and community groups and stakeholders over here and they all want this thing. So if you can design your project to be of beneficial use to that thing, to that idea, then we've just like accomplished win, 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 wins all around. And I find that environmental professionals are really good at doing that because of the interconnectedness of all of it. And I, I, I did want to highlight that Panorama is, I think, unique in that. <laughs> and I hope, I hope all developers do this, where they go, please design my project 
for me. <laughs> the start. I, I I think that might be the future of the environmental profession. On that note, what is Panorama's dream or future vision for your company and for the environmental profession as a whole? Where where do you want this all to go? More, more tools to, uh, more, uh, you know, technical tools to do our work. Like one of the things we're still struggling with is like word versions of stuff. <laughs> Um, I have to say that word, but I didn't. Um, and, um, you know, I, I would love to see us utilizing all of this like technology forward that exists that isn't being used right now. Cause you know, even today there was like a version issue on a project, you know, and it's just our current tools of collaborating. They're getting better, but they still aren't great. Um, you know, where you have to email documents and multiple versions of things. Like, I think this industry could go to a place where, you know, you know, even data collection, monitoring, like a place where that technology that exists could help us do our jobs way better. And it comes back to that it all being rooted in collaboration. So this being a team sport, when we're working on these documents, there can be 40 people at some point touching this, then you get, you know, the attorneys, then you have the, you know, the client and you have, you know, all the people within our office and all the different technical experts. And I mean, it actually could be a lot more than 40. I, I was just throwing out a number, but it's yeah. when you have that many people who need to touch a document, like to me, that tells me that should be something that's like living in the cloud. It's like this live document because it's not meant to be something that just one person is holding at a time. And really, I think it's like being able to improve that collaboration using technology would be a great benefit to the industry. Like some sort of kind of platform, because this is this whole work that we do is a process that has so many different components and there's accountability that has to be built in and there's documents and there's versions and there's legal you know, steps that have to be taken and the box check that it was done right. And there's so much opportunity to take those technology tools and, you know, have a platform that helps us do our job better that doesn't exist now. And I mean, you know, folks use Box. We're working with the Forest Service and they use Box. But honestly, like the version problems are happening with that, too. So um, it's it's that's just a repository. We need a platform. So that is, um, I'm putting that out there to anyone listening who is interested in technology and coding and apps and also serving the environmental industry. <laughs> Please create this. And I'm I'm laughing as you guys are saying this. I can just picture, you know, a Word doc with 500 initials behind it and, you know, a save as date that doesn't match the last, like, stamp date and... Um, Yes. <laughs> yeah, there should be a better way, but I don't know. We're still struggling yeah. with that, same as I was when I was doing this for 10 years ago and 15 years ago and 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people will find that very relatable, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you ladies so much for joining us. We'll get into our wrap up rapid five, but just wanted to take a moment to thank you. And you're both such great role models and inspirations for environmental leaders and business owners and women in business. And thank you for sharing your story with us today. I wish we could talk to you for a few more hours about everything you've done in your company culture and the good you do in the world. But for now, we'll let you guys get back to doing that good. So quick wrap up rapid five. And 
Um, I'll start with Suzanne. I'll start, you'll answer one first and then I'll flip and Tanya will answer one first and we'll kind of ping pong back and forth a little bit. So Suzanne, what is your favorite daily habit? It is taking my kids for a walk to school. I, I love being able to walk them to school and have that time with them. Oh, Tanya, your favorite daily habit. In the morning. What? Cup of coffee in the morning. Oh, that's a great, oh. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that's the, the little things that get you going. That's the only thing I do consistently. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So start with Tanya. What are three things you would bring to a deserted island? All right. I would bring sunscreen because my husband doesn't let anyone go outside anywhere without sunscreen. I would bring <laughs> I'd bring my computer because, you know, like let's just be real, right? <laughs> And, and I don't know if this comes with it or separate, but like the internet would have to come too. Uh, we'll, we'll accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne. Um, I would bring a multi-fuel because then you get like multiple things in one. <laughs> um, I, Cause it's like, you never know what you're going to find and what you'll need to use that for. Um, I would bring a, some sort of a tarp or something that I can make shelter out of. <laughs> <laughs> and I would bring, um, I, I mean, I, it's like, it's kind of a common joke amongst our friend group that we bring Chris Salem because he's like MacGyver. He can make anything out of anything. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. See, that's why I want the internet and the computer because you can just look it up. And from you have, you'll be able to look it up on the island. <laughs> Well, I laugh. I'm like, oh, this is why you guys are business partners, right? The complimentary. <laughs> you have the the computer, the internet, sunscreen. Suzanne's like, okay, I got the tarp. I got the tools. Like we have that. Now we can Google it. So, <laughs> okay. So this one, start with Suzanne. What is your favorite environmental policy? My favorite environmental policy, I'd say the Clean Water Act. I mean, I feel like we're still dealing with it. It goes all over the place, but, um, you know, it, it's something that I still kind of love. I, I love that it's all over the place and that it's always changing and people are always, like, reinterpreting it. Um, so that one's probably my favorite. And I would probably say historic preservation. Um, I, you know, I just think that it is important. You know, it's kind of funny because now stuff built in the 70s is historic. <laughs> And but you know it's really important for preserving our background and just when you start going into projects that involve historic preservation, it's always really interesting. You know, you always come across cool handwritten letters and photos, and so I I like working in that area. Love it. All right, Tanya, what is your favorite flora or fauna? Um, I would say owls. Oh, Laurel, that's her spirit animal. That's She's my job. Us. They guide. They guide us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Even the burrowing owl. <laughs> Even the burrowing owl has a message for us. <laughs> yeah, it's speaking because he made his burrow right next to a train track. <laughs> They're used to it by now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, Suzanne. I like those little salamanders. I mean, they're just they're kind of fun little guys. Um, they crawl in all over the places. Never know where you're gonna find them. <laughs> and if like a a bird gets them, they just lose their tail and run away. Oh, it's it's all strategy. <laughs> I love it. Okay, and then finish this sentence. So, Suzanne, finish this sentence. Wouldn't it be cool if? Wouldn't it be cool if? 
um, we all got to work in a place doing jobs that we loved. Yes, Tanya. Um, wouldn't it be cool if uh, there was no such thing as stress? Love it. Thank you, ladies, so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being awesome. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be updated when new episodes are released and leave us a review to let us know what you think. It also really helps us to share the podcast with others who may enjoy learning about the environmental industry. If you want to submit a shout out or any feedback, please send an email or voice memo to podcast at califaep.org. The email again is podcast with an S, podcast at califaep.org.